0: Hey, I'm Ty Snaith, and this is A World of One's Own, a series of conversations with women and non-binary artists I respect and admire. The episode you're about to listen to is from Season 1, which was originally called A World of Her Own. It was part of the exhibition Unfinished Business, Perspectives on Art and Feminism at ACCA. For more information about the podcast and the artists I'm speaking to in Season 2, head to tysnaith.com. And now, here's the episode. And I
1: think uh, it's something that really we miss in our language is to think with an imagination. And that doesn't have to be what something looks like, but yeah. to think with an imagination about how life might be or what a future might look like or how you might live in a more interesting way with your family. Yeah. Or I don't know, I, I like the idea of thinking about imagination more yeah. than ever. I think it's left our yeah. architecture world a little
0: bit. Hi, I'm Ty Snaith, and this is A World of Her Own, a series of conversations with Australian women artists I respect and admire. Today I'm speaking to architectural visionary, boss lady, mum of three, and all-round superwoman Rachel Nolan. For the past 20 years, Rachel has been co-director of the very successful firm Kennedy Nolan Architects, alongside her business partner, Pat Kennedy. She's played a major part in reimagining the way we live by helping reshape contemporary Australian residential design. Rachel's firm has won numerous awards for their trademark Simple Elegant Homes and are now tackling much larger multi-residential dwellings, infrastructure and urban design. Basically, Rachel's one of those people that in 50 years' time we'll be quoting and attributing our amazing way of life to. In this conversation, we traverse many interesting topics, from the beauty of growing up with genderless toys, to our shared love of circles, cut flowers, and powerful feminist nannas. Rachel is a real leader when it comes to creating true gender equity in the workplace. We talk about the importance of having a sense of empathy and understanding, and providing truly flexible career opportunities for women. Not least of our discussion is her focus on the importance of the garden. The house needs to sit comfortably in the landscape and Rachel believes the garden is an equally important design consideration as the built structure itself. We cut to the chase in this interview or as the case may be we open the back doors and run straight out to the garden. It's really nice to hear an architect talk about how a garden is equally important to a house because I think in the past when, and maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong here mm-hmm. in making a generalist assumption about genders of architects, but I think um, that's quite a feminine way of approaching how, what a house is in that it sits in the landscape equally to just dominating the landscape and i know that a lot of male architects have now taken on that but the way yeah. that i see that is quite a feminine feminine or feminist even understanding of what a house is sort of yeah. um open to the land not just like the king of the land
1: yeah i don't, oh, and don't? I don't well primarily i mean my business partner's a man mm-hmm. and we came we found each other because we had that in common so it's the first you know it's the it's kind of the language we've always spoken to each other yeah, with cool. which is always considering landscape and my dad's really into gardens and my grandfather and grandmother together were really into gardens so mm-hmm. I, I think because Pat and I grew up in the country we had families who were interested in gardens too we knew the names of plants we we're interested in plants mm. we met at college which was um, Marnie Griffin so Billy Griffin and Marin Marnie mm-hmm. who, who, who both designed Newman College I'm an incredible, opportunity for us to um, live in a really special building and meet mm. in a very special building we often use newman college as a way to talk about space was that designed or, by the griffins designed by the griffins yeah. and marion money was a landscaper yeah as well she's
0: amazing yeah and
1: that's where when I mean, we were talking before about um lemon scented gums mm. and what a lot of the language we use in practice about memory and materiality mm-hmm. come from a really early co- in common discussion about Newman where Marian Money had a huge hand in that too mm. with him yeah with Walter Billy Griffin mm. so I guess we kind of We've got a practice where there's a man and a woman. Mm. Um, The the other hilarious assumption is always that when you're a man and a woman in practice, is that you're actually together.
0: Yeah, no, I knew that, but I'm sure that happens. Which is actually mostly true. Yeah, 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 mostly it it is. Mm. They're
1: part. They're in a partnership, Mm -hmm. and I would have
0: i would hate to be (laughs) partnered with an architect people just assume that though yeah when they don't assume that two men are gay in a partnership no and they wouldn't
1: assume necessarily that two women are too and i think it probably is i mean Mm. we always kind of laugh at it but more often than not when you look at Mm. a man and woman partnerships particularly in melbourne that they are actually Mm. home partners as well Mm. like the thorntons oh yeah sister couples multiplicity mm. um oh, you know when, when they come to mind um <laughs> vanessa bird and her partner
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know there's a hip
0: yeah. and in and throughout history there's a and heap. you can see
1: what works when you have kids and how people meet in architecture school and mm. so you know officially for the record mm. out there everybody <laughs> together yep. continue to this day to for people to people will think that, that. Really? and i kind of like the fact that my partner is and just so happens both of us have partners are in the medical profession so it's there is some kind of similarity i guess there i think that's an interesting interesting similarity with um my partner's a surgeon Mm -hmm. a a kind of spatial thing which sounds like a crazy thing but every now Mm. and then there is some kind of weird overlap about knowing where you are in space wow um but yeah pat and i going back to the landscape part pat Mm. and i always Talked about these things. It was like really early days, mm. late 90s. We'd meet after work in Fitzroy and drink beer and smoke cigarettes, mm. n- you know, no obligations.
0: Talk about plants.
1: And t- no, talk, <laughs> talk, We talked a lot about simple houses. We talked about um, merchant builders' houses mm-hmm. when we were younger, mm. uh, which was quite unpopular mm. again in very the 90s. Popular <laughs> very popular now. Very popular now. And about um, native gardens mm-hmm. as well as introduced plants Mm. as well and I think in our practice we've we like now to work with horticulturists because they teach us about plants yeah so we're more interested less interested in I guess landscape architecture as buildings Mm. as well yeah but more interested in learning just about plants Mm.
0: that's great I mean it's just so inspiring I love plants and I love you can tell when an architect has considered it from the beginning and I think Mm. and maybe that's just me assuming that's a female thing but I, I do think it brings a feeling of oneness to a whole property and whether that's gendered or not like it's it's nice and i think that's sort of not rushing like the photos and you can tell when Mm. things are put into awards too early it's like what about the garden and for us it's a critical part of it Mm. so we
1: have to be really careful when we shoot early Mm -hmm. to make sure what we capture and then the opportunity to go back i mean almost shooting in the last week i've gone back where there's been so much boston ivy on things you can barely see the building anymore which wow. so you start to look at the image and go where is the building but that was the intention That's kind of nice
0: though isn't
1: it it'll be really nice to work out how we can use those images even in terms of giving lectures or mm. talking about our position on things that mm. there is actually something there to demonstrate from a really cold hard drawing mm. into what the vision is too because it's more complicated than just building materials and
0: also i mean we were saying before it's also about time and that's something mm. that i mean, living. If you've got a full understanding of life, it's not just about now and the resale value in a year and all that rubbish that often comes with architecture and real estate, which is infuriating, I'm So sure.
1: in, in our housing, we, mm. would, we would have a very low appetite for people to commission something to flip it, to mm. make money on it. Mm. It actually doesn't stack up that way economically. You'll always overinvest in a, in a mm. piece by an architect but you will live out your life in it. Yeah, so it's a very different cool. type of investment, mm-hmm. like plants. That if you, and you know, we all know from any kind of um, work you do in a garden that the smaller plant you put in will catch up to the bigger plant and actually be a better plant mm. in time. So there's a, there's a patience, there's a sensible investment to be mm-hmm. made out of a better plant. But there's also something about which I think in our residential architecture is that you go through the process itself that you are so tied and knitted into owning that property someone Mm. just doesn't give you a key the whole commissioning and involvement with it makes you love it and understand it more yeah and and it can make so many more people have an awareness of architecture and other buildings when they've been through that process i really like it when we have a young family Mm. and that the kids see the making of their building and that process or even just going on site Because there's so much more to gain out of the process, not just the
0: building at the end. Well, it's all about belonging and and understanding your life and building your life together as a family, rather than just buying a house and moving in. Oh,
1: and to making an investment that's actually not just about money—you make a time investment. Yeah, yeah. And that's what a garden gives you. I think when you know you talk about growing things from seeds, Mm. and then how much you own that as it gets bigger and Mm -hmm. older, or that your children will see your garden change or as a way back of even a uh, way of looking back to images to mark the changing of time.
0: Yeah. And their understanding of their life. And, yeah, and their, and your life together. I mean, we were just talking mm. about because I love growing things too, but talking about growing avocado trees from pit. Mm. And for me, that's remembering my grandmother growing mm. avocado trees. So it's I think it's a generational thing too. Like, yep. for you, is there? I mean, being an architect, do you have memories of? Is there someone in your family that inspired you to go down that path, or did, was that just were you the first in your family to think about
1: in terms of building or yeah, garden
0: or architect or both?
1: Um, we didn't have any architects in my family, but when I was a kid, I was always interested in making space, Mm. you know, and just early, early things like having Lego, which, you know, what a beautiful toy it was then before it turned into pink Barbie shit, Um, (laughs) like the universal, perfect genderless toy, which you could make you know, you didn't have to make something that was. you followed mm. instruction. So, yeah. and as a kid, I grew up on the river in Albury, like pretty suburban neighbours, kind of mm-hmm. cul de life. But we we always made things and made places and um, found it really exciting. So mm. I, I guess I was good at drawing and art and mm-hmm. I was a maths person. So then you so go, okay, together. what can I do at university? Because I'm actually, am going to leave town at 17 or mm-hmm. 18 and that, That kind of pointed in that general Mm. direction. But, you know, my uncle was a carpenter and people were around Uh making things. And my nan, who was an amazing woman. I had two great, amazing um, grandmothers on both sides who were very um, independent and quite right, feminist in their own right for that time Yeah, she had you know they were they were poor they're from a generation that lived through the war and she went back and did carpentry and made heaps of stuff Wow! and they did have money but you know when you make things you don't really need, need
0: that yeah and she and had so a you, beautiful garden and you watched that so those two together oh, yeah. it's from your nan yeah
1: that's amazing yeah well for, and from my other grandmother too i think to be fair yeah but i think um and the other thing that i'm really interested in the garden side of things which came from nan and which both of my sisters did which is cut flowers oh
0: yeah beautiful you know the whole idea yeah and
1: you know nan would cut everything from her garden and then you know we grew up very catholic family way back when and would put it in the church and you'd help go and arrange that both my sisters end up doing floristry at certain points of their life but that idea of um making something from something you've grown to remove it and then reinvent it Mm. which still for me in our back garden i need a garden where
0: i can cut from Same with me. And Mm. I wonder whether that... I mean, that probably came from my grandparents as well. But I love that. I mean, for me, Cut Flowers is just about noticing time going by as well mm. you know because they only last for a week or so and then mm. they die and then mm. you you know you notice that a week's gone by well it's, it's the beautiful. first time in
1: my life that I'm really prepared to spend money on flowers and then yeah. like I've always I'm always a person with snips on me yeah the kids used to always be embarrassed when they're little because I have snips hiding in the top of the pram and they get really uptight and look around and oh, stealing stuff <laughs> me too but now I'll spend money at florist because you know I, I don't grow all the nice smelling seasonal things but mm-hmm. I know I'd, I'd happily spend $30 to get that smell for five days yeah. and sleep better. And yeah. remember that, mark that Fraises. time of the year. Oh, I uh, love Fraises, Fraises, Roses, which are kind of ugly but smell beautiful. Yeah. Daphne. Yeah um gardenia
0: yeah i will always spend my money first on flowers and seedlings and seeds like that's where all my mm-hmm. money goes but it's the best money ever spent i think like if you yeah. can and you can watch it grow around yeah. you or smell yeah. it or yeah I but think the cut it's...
1: flowers is a challenge too because it doesn't like it doesn't have it's been a bit of a thing a bit of a challenge for me to spend money on cut flowers but then i love the smell of flowers and no one who Makes perfumes, as far as I'm concerned, makes a good flower. Not as no. Some some get close. Well, it's but. not how flowers smell, you know. No. We're talking before when we're outside in the garden because they, that scent will come to you, yeah. but it's not a consistent thing.
0: Hmm, it's a temporary thing too, and I think like like living, and I guess like what you do, you're constantly creating a structure for a temporary thing to happen within it. I mean, it's quite different. I've mainly talked to artists. Um, visual artists in this podcast that are talking about things that they make that then go out into the world, yeah. leave them as objects. Whereas with architecture, I'm continually fascinated by architects because you are really creating a, a stage almost, aren't you, for these things to happen in the best way. That's sort of how I see your job is like a, you're framing lives to happen and actually quite a political act in itself because yeah. the politics that happen in the home... A formative you know for after that so do you think i mean like and i talked to simon about this quite a bit like yeah you can influence the way that families begin like you can influence the way that people live with each other which is political you know because then children grow up totally and we have
1: opinions on that which yeah. is political in itself for having an opinion on domesticity yeah we do and i sometimes get into trouble for this because um you know we do some big houses which I guess our challenge with bigger houses is how we can still keep a sense of the domestic, Mm. that it doesn't become too big that you can't. Segregated, yeah, yeah. And you know, i have got to be careful because I like having some bigger projects. We enjoy them. Yeah, you get paid well, (laughs) but you can also, you know, make some beautiful things with them and beautiful material Mm -hmm. things, which otherwise with smaller projects you you can't. And smaller projects are hard for my practice to run now at over twenty people. Yeah. Um, so we actually still use our residential component as incubators for certain ideas so then yeah. and test things so yeah. then we might roll them out in a housing choices project or um, they might work in a school or so there's there, there's a great incubator in residential work of course but in terms of domestic politics, which I yeah. guess is where we, we what we were just talking about is you can't help but come to i think in your life when the way you've been brought up you either um it has an effect on you where either you think that was good or mm. then you do the opposite. It's hard to be impartial, I think, mm. or about you can the take way.
0: We can do a bit of both.
1: Yes, yeah, <laughs> but that can happen. Like there's lots of places that can happen in a house. Yeah. And certainly, you know, we're a sizable practice of, say, 20 people now where there's been 16 babies born in our practice. So we talk wow. about domesticity.
0: Including your own, right?
1: Including my three. Yeah. Um, domesticity a lot mm. and we have opinions on you know how bathrooms should work do, should children use bath? i mean that all becomes quite political if you've got clients sharing you mean like sharing. ideas of sharing. Yeah, how, how a house can um, make you wait mm.
0: and if fine, that's, that's important right
1: which is important mm. or share and i guess you get to architects are in a privileged position when they build their own homes or do things to their own homes or slightly alter their own homes mm. is that you can See how that affects you
0: too. Yeah, and then you're then preaching this to other people, but maybe...
1: But but who might be a different fit and who might be quite different to us as well. And you can suggest things. And I reckon that's a real professional line is knowing Mm. when, not to say this is how I live, this is how you should live. Yes.
0: Mm. So you can assess it. But there are things that are happening now in this day and age like everyone having their own thing you know everyone having and particularly comes with privilege as well you know everyone having their own ipad and then their own corner to do it in and no one has to look at each other and that kind of stuff is universal it's sort of happening across the board and that's something that you can have an opinion which doesn't
1: feel i don't feel good about that (laughs) i think things can evolve things that we immediately look at and think that's bad. Can have good things about them as well. I mean, this mm. is a lot. This is coming from being a parent with two teenagers and a mm. kid who's nine. Who, the whole um, infrastructure of um, games and computers mm. and how much time you spend on screen. So it's obviously a big conversation yeah. for people at the moment. But I think in terms of physical space, yeah. um, there's lots you can share. There's all sorts of thresholds of privacy in a house from throwing the house open to everybody to where you retreat to just as a family and then where you can retreat to as an individual. Yeah. And we often, I mean, we work so hard in, and you forget you make rules in your practice mm. because they they're actually evol- they actually evolve out from instincts and then in buildings, they actually mm. become um, built patterns. Mm. And sometimes it takes a long time in your work and a beautiful privilege to-
0: To see them in
1: retrospect. To, to be Sometimes to be asked so we, to do a retrospective of your mm. own work, to actually see what you've done. Mm. because sometimes it's not a verbal position mm. but you can see you can trace it it's almost unconscious oh it what comes a beautiful a, thing for an architect to have is a, is so a, a nice. body of work
0: yeah well, lots one, of
1: professions don't
0: oh well, yeah that's very true i mean and that's what architecture has in common with visual art is mm. that over time and every woman that i've spoken to so far quite you a, leave common, a trail. yeah and quite a yeah. common thing that comes up is a language that's built over time and a few people have said that they like to think of it as still all alive. You know, they might bring one motif from early in their yeah. practice into their current um, practice, which is something that's been really inspiring for me. But one thing looking at your retrospective or just even, I guess, absorbing it over the last 15 years is circles. I mean, yeah. one, and it's something that, I mean, even your yeah. earrings today, like you're wearing circles and I feel an affinity with that because I have a lot of circles in my work yeah. as well. And I guess, I just wonder if you've thought about what circles mean to you, you know, like. It's
1: kind of pure shapes, mm. I guess, or about reducing things to the absolute absolute minimum when we're doing plans, like we work really hard at that. And, you know, like a circle is reduced to the absolute minimum, if mm. you think about it. But it's it.
0: not a square, it's quite a feminine shape.
1: It's not a square, Um I don't see it as being necessarily a feminine Definitely. shape. I, I mean, we'll, I work with a man; like we're partners. So I know,
0: but I hate to make the assumption that you're probably, you know, like the circle person. But are you both circle people? Absolutely. Awesome.
1: Okay. <laughs> absolutely, both circle people. Okay. Um, it, you may work with a feminist, though. So, so fen- fen- absolutely yeah. um, So fenestration. What architects mm-hmm. call fenestration, everyone calls windows. Yeah. Um, for us, how you resolve an opening in a wall is always a, an interesting challenge mm-hmm. in practice. We have really big opinions on openings in walls. Yeah. Um, sometimes a circle can allude to an abstraction of something where a conventional old window doesn't. You look mm-hmm. at it's a window, a circle might allude to other things. So the idea of suggested, suggested like otherness, <laughs> um, I guess it kind of... I don't know, as a motif, we do use it a lot and I do get asked the question and I've never actually come up with a proper answer for it.
0: Well, but- I mean, technically, like if you're thinking about phallic structures and yonic structures, mm. like the classic opening is a circle. Like mm. it's a, the way that I see circles is that they're the most yonic sort of symbol that you can get really. Mm. Um, but that's how I see them. And I also, I mean, I noticed that, and this is purely my experience, but like I noticed when I was pregnant, Um, For the first time, I just started making circles. Like I was drawing circles. I was seeing circles more Mm. than I did before. And maybe that's just coincidence. But I've spoken to quite a few sculptors about circles Mm. and like thought about artists like Barbara Hepworth or lots of Eva Hess, even that the the recurring motif of a circle was quite powerful. And them um, as feminists as well, quite powerful. But maybe that's just a, it could be drawing a long bow. In
1: in architecture, it can be really playful or Mm. a mat and it's not typically a door or a window but Mm -hmm. it can be both Mm. it alludes to something behind Mm. it's something that can be beautifully executed in something weighty Mm.
0: as well More organic than a square isn't
1: it it's more organic but it's disciplined Mm. so it's it's harder to achieve yeah i mean you know we always used to get asked the questions Mm. you know women design curbs and men design which Mm. we actually don't do that much Curvy stuff. I have to say, it Except depends on how beautiful the curve is. <laughs> so for for us, for us in practice, sometimes these things are about proportion mm-hmm. and them and what context they sit in. And a circle can be a really different thing if just the scale of it, what it's executed, mm-hmm. its size compared to a person yeah, in right. architecture. So that's where it starts to be maybe a different thing from artwork. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you scale, walked where it sits compared to your body, mm-hmm. whether it stays a window or it's something. A porthole, or a porthole, or if we're working in childcare or schools where the kids—it's only small enough for a child to fit through and not an adult. Mm. Like, I think it actually has—it acts as a scaling device. And but that's then what a pure what you shape, mean
0: by playful as well. Yeah, so that and, it has more sort of suggestive.
1: Yeah, and quality. and I, I guess you know Roy grounds did it often with pure geometries. It's sometimes where the, the shape of things is is just beautiful and it's another really difficult topic Mm. and quite an unfashionable thing in architecture to say you want to make something beautiful and we have never shied away from saying that that's nor I to talk about beauty and i think that's a whole other world where a garden fits in where sometimes you Mm. can't exactly tell what makes you feel
0: a way but beauty can start to Mm. give it a name maybe i I think it's also something that is a very human need is like beauty i mean classically beauty is often we need it. We need. Mm. We can't just live in an ugly, stark world. Humans mm. need beauty as well, mm. and often beauty is tied to yeah, like thriving or mm. nice smells or beautiful colours. Mm. Or I mean, I mean, the word beautiful is just really means things that go together well, doesn't it? Well, I just think it's <laughs>
1: it's different things to different people. Mm. So um, you know, it's the other one with um, architecture is taste. When people talk about taste, which I don't know, <laughs> maybe that was a different generation word for beauty. Or that, that people don't want things to age because they're oh, scared of things. That's a big thing in architecture, aging. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, everything ages. Mm. Things age well or things age terribly. Mm. But th- there's this thing of like um, we don't want things to age, which is kind of funny. Because it's what's, impossible, it ta- isn't it? what's it talking about? Is it yeah. talking about we don't want something to be um, fatty? <laughs> so then in as, as yeah. case it doesn't you know, we don't want it to be just now and not the future. To mark a time. Yeah, it's a real, it's a, there's slippery words. There's lots of slippery words Mm. when it comes to aesthetics.
0: But the way you see it, it's actually okay. I mean, things do inevitably age. So it's okay for something to age and be of its time in if it's done well, right?
1: Oh, totally. And if there's thought to it Mm. and, and, you know, of course architecture, what it looks like is just a part, Mm. you know, I think it's easy to fetishize architecture because yes. traditionally we've seen it in magazines or on mm. television so that's that's how you mostly perceive it yeah. but the, the you know, the proof is in how it's used The as well. Real, like it's yeah. complex. It's complex how so you deliver it on budget, and how long it takes, and all of those other it's processes. A science and
0: a business as well. Yeah. But The ones, I mean, the houses that really my favourite houses are houses like the Featherston House, mm. which I mean, Mary Featherston still lives in, mm. and you can you can sort of see her and their essence in in mm. that house. I mean, that's quite a unique um, opportunity for two creative people to be involved in designing a house as well and maybe mm-hmm. it's easier with creative people or is it harder to design a house for a creative person oh i think what a beautiful opportunity yeah. to do that because they become collaborators in a way
1: oh well they're much more likely to step into that circle to love it so much with both hands yeah but i think i mean you know we're talking about kind of going back to talking about fashionable words
0: yeah
1: i think imaginations are really um, fashionable word. People don't really talk about having an imagination oh, anymore. That's crazy. Well, it can be called other things at different yeah. times. I guess so. It might be create. Might be what someone calls creative. A creative person, but it might be yeah. they might have a great imagination. I think
0: unless you're in the kids world, because for me, I mean, I work with kids as well, yeah. and imagination is everything. But it's
1: often limited to discussions about children. Children, yeah. And you talk about Mary Featherston and yeah. Designing for in education, and that you, she still hasn't imagined that almost children are allowed to talk, to have access to imaginative things, but adults feel like maybe it's too serious, uh, it's too frivolous.
0: Like they have to grow up. Yeah, I think I think so, and I
1: think it's something that really we miss in our Mm. language is to think with an imagination, and that doesn't have to be what something looks like, but Mm. to think with an imagination about how life might be or what a future might look like, or how you might live in a more interesting way with your family or yeah. i don't know i i like the idea of thinking about imagination more yeah. than ever i think it's left our yeah. architecture world a little bit that's
0: sad well fe- mean, the Featherson house what a beautiful imagination oh, so great and and just limitless as well like i i love the first time i walked through it i remember thinking oh like i could live like this mm-hmm. and then when designing our house we were really I mean you know I really wanted the garden to become part of the house and Mm. and I mean they had a garden in their house Mm. and it's like really no rules there you know and That And just even, I mean, little things like seeing Mary's bird's nest collection in her Mm. house was just so inspiring for me is that it's not, those things are not about money either, you know, it's not, Mm. that's about living and and over time, which is pretty much all I'm interested in in a house is how Mm. a person or a family grows within it and how... The plants mm. go around it. And and even things that you accumulate aren't necessarily about how much they cost. It's about things that are meaningful to you and your family. But mm. unfortunately, I think what happens with things like The Block and things like, you know, some fashion mag- design magazines mm. is that, you know, you can buy all of this now for mm. this much, which is it, just impossible to do that. You can't just mm. buy a life in one go. Mm. You have to build it over time. But it must be frustrating for you to try and explain that or you know to to clients that want it all now
1: we try and choose our clients
0: <laughs> yeah, carefully
1: yeah. now i mean yeah. once upon a time when we were younger we had to take everything hmm. we didn't have projects to show and i think we now when we talk with clients and i guess our, our discussion is really based around our residential component of our practice at the moment rather than other stuff because you do yeah. lots of stuff of course yeah. um is that we are careful about who we talk at the beginning and often our projects are bigger now so a client might be interviewing three architects mm. or four architects to tell them to do the hardest part of their investigations in terms of the choice not later they don't do the work later so yeah. really check you've got a good fit yeah that you get along it's a really super long relationship yeah. you need to hitch your wagons to each other yeah and then you can should be able to trust after that because if you you've looked at all that lineup and then mm. you've chosen that person mm. so these days we would feel like they're interviewing us yeah. and we're interviewing them same way because yeah. to when you've got that and it works and it, and actually with a builder as yep. well like what bill do you bring into the mix oh yeah they're
0: important aren't yeah they? so if you get that God.
1: triangle right yep. you can deliver extraordinary things yeah and I being think. honest
0: about what you're going to spend that's a
1: good one. Oh, we it? always talk about money you have to
0: <laughs> but you have to no yeah. you have to but, but, and but lots a... of people find that very confronting oh we stop they? doing that yeah money is just another th- part of it that you have to but deal clients with. i mean find that confronting sometimes like people find money confronting because it's a real
1: i ask them very for. early in the process not to we always have to talk about money, yeah, because it's like I guess when you're employing people and stuff like it's just yeah. one thing you need to be open comfortable, and honest about, yeah, open and honest yeah. about people's expectations. But I think um, you know we we you don't have to um, have a really really expensive house to mm. have a beautiful house either. Mm. One thing, I mean.
0: On a, just on a bit of a side, I always think about how as architects, you guys have to deal with personalities quite a lot. And mm-hmm. even if, I mean, particularly in residential, but mm-hmm. even on other projects where mm-hmm. there's lots of different dynamics in the mix and you have to think about the way that you, you are as a person, you mm-hmm. have to be really forthright, but you have to be, mm-hmm. give, there's a lot of give and take, you have to listen really well, mm-hmm. obviously. And I know this just from like talking to my partner about what mm-hmm. he does. And I think good architects seem to always be very good listeners um, but also very um, decisive it's mm. like a really difficult balance to get but
1: it's the beautiful thing about having partnership i think it would be much harder mm. to be a solo practitioner that way so you share that kind of absolutely we share it it's a good cop bad cop can be yeah um depends on what relationships we build with people now we've got two other directors who have um you know, and and lots of other wonderful people who are project architects in our practice, who can make that relationship yep. as well. Um, yeah.
0: I just are you, do you have um, like equal
1: men and women in your office? We, it so obviously Pat and I started. We very quickly brought people into our practice to yep. work with for diversity. We for a long time, I reckon, we had probably about ten women to two men. So yep. our practice became known as having a lot of women, which was completely. Um, when it came to hiring people, those people happened to be the best people for the job. Yeah. So the ladies were the best people for the job. Mm-hmm. And then I think we felt for a while that maybe we should even it up a bit. I mean, not overly consciously it's because amazing. I wasn't going to get rid of an excellent lady to bring in an ordinary bloke. Yeah. But it's our younger ones coming through. We've got structure in our practice now mm-hmm. where there's seniority down to students. Course, so yeah. it's it's evened out a bit more. But certainly in terms of senior roles, much more um women
0: that's awesome because that's not always the case in architecture it's rare but
1: we forget because we just work all the time we think it's like an island
0: (laughs) it's like we build our own world but that's an that might be an unconscious decision on your behalf but i know like from just knowing lots of different architects that Mm. quite often male architects have to make an effort to 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 consciously bring women into just because of the, just because of the history of architecture being quite male dominated. But it's, I just think it's really interesting from my point of view, there's quite a lot of female things in your practice that seem to be just purely unconscious from both of you, you know, which is really exciting. But I think um, there's, you know, like there's a lot of female architects now like Mel Bright or Kirsten Thompson that are actively, being leaders for women that yeah. it sort of needs to be more but yeah. um i think yeah. it's a really good time tie though do you think it is oh is um, it changing claire cousins is about oh, to Claire's be a national amazing. president
1: yeah um karen alcock runs a wonderful practice um vanessa's been the head of our victorian yeah. institute um there's lots of women around at the moment so in terms of role models we are spoiled for choice yeah you're
0: growing quickly yeah but but,
1: you know my background I worked for women architects before so when I was a student I worked for all women practice in Fitzroy and then I worked for another woman which Pat also worked for for her before and then I worked for a bloke so I'd work for more women than men
0: so you just knew how it worked well when I was younger I thought that would be
1: quite fun to do because I thought that seemed unusual and then it just became I don't know my normal did they all have children through
0: the time that you were working with them
1: um the first women did mm-hmm. and um another practice didn't so really different mm. from each other not all one type but I could yeah. see the juggle sitting mm. in there and yeah and you could see
0: how that could work right
1: yeah well I just never imagined stop working and also when yeah. it's your own practice it's pretty hard to get off I mean I stopped <laughs> stop for a bit but there's always um constant contact which yeah I actually could envy other people in my practice when they were able to say I'm not working for a year mm-hmm. and the pen was down.
0: But you didn't do that.
1: I didn't do that, but I didn't. I wasn't like full-time mm. either, but I always was in contact with the practice mm-hmm. or being involved with the practice, but I couldn't turn my back on the practice. And, and that was my partner actually went overseas to work and I don't know, visiting him, getting pregnant. I wasn't in England with him mm-hmm. and then he went to work in France. And so my first baby... I stayed here because I wouldn't leave the practice. Mm-hmm. If you'd been gone for longer than a year, I needed the option. Yeah. So we actually got married at lunchtime in the registry office, so I had the option because I couldn't have got a working visa for England unless yeah. we were married. So that was that kind of happened like that, terribly kind of underhand. But then I got pregnant and then I stayed here and he came back a week before we had our first kid. So he was away wow. the entire time, which was, you know, pretty a bit tricky at the time, but fine. Yeah. Got to spend nice time with lots of other friends for my last hurrah but it was just always integrated in having a baby and around that time we moved the practice out of the warehouse Mm -hmm. so there was
0: separation that's good there yeah yeah but uh, i mean it's good to have separation but it's also good i think when you think about the option of like a male dominated practice where um you know when a woman gets pregnant i know it's changing a lot and there's a lot of architects that are very very actively changing it but traditionally it's been difficult for you know like, say you were to interview for mm-hmm. a job as a woman, and you're pregnant when you interviewed. Yeah, I mean, even if it's unconsciously, often a male architect will be like, "Yeah, but what's going to happen?" Oh, when but she's look, the even
1: small practice with a women, with women's
0: mm.
1: women interviewing. If you thought this is going to put pressure on a small practice, small practice can't afford it. So, it, yeah. it's a tricky thing to, in your head to have to reconcile. But recently, yeah. like maybe last year at the institute um victoria and i gave it who's one of our directors gave yep. a talk for women who work part-time what value they actually bring to a workplace in terms of monetary value they can get a whole project in terms of architecture run an entire project on three t- three days a week extremely efficiently that yep. it actually makes economic sense for
0: practice because you're in only architecture. paying on three days a week because
1: you're only paying them three-fifths of a wage yep and they might otherwise kind of faff about for longer (laughs) and not be as efficient and women are pretty efficient as well when they've had kids they're very efficient they come in and they put their heads down yeah because it's like a holiday (laughs) because it's easier (laughs) because
0: it's so much easier it's
1: a joy to go into work isn't it well and and there's a certain understanding because everyone knows what position they're in pat doesn't have kids my business partner but he is really close with my kids and he's got lots he's very close with his nieces and nephews so he has a real interest in kids or understands the involve, involvement. So there just really needs to be empathy in any situation, not totally. architecture, yeah. just to realise what other people are going through, but actually to understand the real value of working not full-time, in terms of what you can deliver a practice. And I think that's only starting to be understood.
0: Yeah, and I don't think that's just for women either. Like, I think there's a lot more, I mean, just knowing from Simon's practice, there's a lot more of an understanding now and urge towards people taking a day off every fortnight or even every week or even just a couple of hours during the week to actually grow them as a person that's not at work. Like, whether that be with a family or going to see an exhibition or doing a project, an art project or whatever on the side, like being fully rounded people. Yeah. Um, and that's not just women, but we understand it as women who had children because it's such an important part of your life to grow a human on yeah. the side. But you, of course you can keep working. But it's yeah. just, I think it's start, that's starting to come into the general consciousness. I think so, which it?
1: is, I've got some younger ones who would like to do that, but I, you also have to, at a certain point in your early training, need to get the full...
0: You need to work hard. You
1: need to work hard yeah. and get all the experience, mm. so that down the track you might be able to make some lifestyle lifestyle decisions in architecture, yeah as well. And so choose. when you actually get learn the ropes, so then you can have you can plot mm. a type of uh, the way you might like your profession to look.
0: Mm. I think one thing um, we're going to run out of time soon, but one thing that I have been asking everyone, which It's quite personal and so you don't need to answer, but um, just just out of interest for me thinking about my life and um, how I relate to my practice as Mm -hmm. a woman, what do you find, or if there's anything, there may not be, but what do you find most confronting about yourself? Hmm.
1: I don't think about that
0: very much. You don't have time, do
1: Um. you? (laughs) not keeping a kind of natural fitness as you get older where, yeah. where you know you're kind of sitting on your ass all week at a desk and that has a result when you're nearly 50 like having to it doesn't look like it does but it anyway. does <laughs> it does die um but having to make room for for those things. i mean lots of people build that into their lives physical and all, health yeah like just keeping active like mm-hmm. when you're busy torn between three kids the own, and you can actually say there is no time for anything else mm. and you realise pretty quickly that if you're going to make time, it has to come out of the time when you'd otherwise be sleeping. Gardening? <laughs> gardening, <laughs> they're still gardening. Yeah, <laughs> I still do gardening. It's physical? But yeah, it's physical and look, I walk the dog and all that kind of stuff as yeah. well but I think as you get older, just, you know, Pat and I are the oldest people in our practice and you actually, it kind of is surprising. Yet, I have no issues with getting older, in fact, I quite like it but um, yesterday I was interviewing a younger person for a role at work and she said how long it was since she'd left uni and then I said how long it was since I started uni. And I was in there with Victoria, who's one of our directors, and she thought I'd made a mistake. And then when she realised I hadn't made a mistake, she dropped her pen in shock. So a younger person who I would sit there and think of as a peer had left uni five years ago yeah. and I started university 31 years ago. Wow. And you can still feel like um, you're really aligned and then yeah. you realise that's a really lot of extra time on the planet but that's and what makes you more knowledgeable and that's why I have, I'm the boss yeah, i have i have no issues with getting older except yeah except for except being a bit sore and all that kind of stuff but um or the fact that um you know between 50 and 60 like, it's getting at the other end of your career. I mean, it's a really nice age to be in practice for this long and be at this part of our career, like a complete privilege. Because of
0: respect and people actually oh, know yeah. what you do. Oh, yeah, and, you know,
1: some of that time which I thought, oh, you know, I can't stop and others can stop, like, they're actually rewards from mm. having to stick some shit out in your life, mm. like that, that investment comes back yeah so sometimes the hard yards it takes a little while to pay off but i think at this point in practice it really has That's so and your good. practices have to be really nimble and be able to evolve it's not yeah. you can't flexible one. you have to yeah. be really and we're always in practice in architecture A beautiful privilege is that you're around people of all ages yeah and, and so i can accidentally think i'm 25 <laughs> but sometimes the young ones who remind me Quite categorically that i'm not oh, I'm and sure. that's always a bit of a surprise too yeah. because it doesn't mean when you're younger mm. that you're actually um you know less concert more conservative or mm. less conservative less. yeah no because younger people can be yeah as they can well be, of so all ages. Yeah. yeah
0: i don't know whether that's answered the question but there's a little uh, bit no, of something it definitely there. has it definitely has i've actually i feel like we could just talk forever um, but i 'm going to have to stop us now and it 's been a huge pleasure and thank you for taking time out of your busy practice. just oh, be nice tight. way to finish the day rather than <laughs> sitting at my desk. <laughs> All right see you soon Thank you. such a woman after my own heart, I found I shared so many sentiments with Rachel in this conversation. I loved her assessment of how rules in her practice evolve from instincts which then evolve into built patterns. What an intuitive and sensible way of running a creative business, and life for that matter. I thoroughly enjoyed her views on imagination and playfulness and her strong opinions on beauty. I love a woman who is not afraid to have an imagination, and equally not afraid of talking about money up front. How great is it when Rachel says there are actually some rewards for having to stick some shit out in your life? Here is an example of a woman who has never stopped doing what she loves. She's bloody good at it, and although she admits that the struggle and the juggle of motherhood and career are indeed real, she has not denied herself any of the hard yards of earning her architecture stripes in the process. Here's to having it all. This conversation was recorded for the series A World of Her Own as part of the exhibition Unfinished Business, Perspectives on Art and Feminism at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. It was recorded by me, Ty Snaith. I'm an artist for those of you who don't know my work. If you enjoyed exploring Rachel's world with me today, you might like to delve into some other worlds by downloading more episodes directly from the ACCA website. Visit www.acca.melbourne.com where you'll find the world of her own link under Programs, or from SoundCloud if you visit soundcloud.com forward slash ACCA underscore Melbourne. I would like to give a big thanks to Beck Fari for audio post-production and Melbourne musician Fia, spelt P-H-I-A, for letting us use this track, End of the Day, from her album The Ocean of Everything. Thanks for listening to this episode from Season 1. The podcast now lives at tysnaith.com, so head over there for more information about the show and the artists I'm speaking to in Season 2. And thanks again to Akka for all their support with Season 1.